retirement planning, financial planning, there's nothing instant about it. You have to think long term. And so we're fighting this battle. And, you know, I have a lot of people who tell me, well, I'm not going to worry about it now. I'll worry about it 10 years or 20 years from now. I said, well, what's going to happen when you're 60 or 70 and you run out of money? You can't magically come up with two or three hundred or four hundred thousand dollars it's it's impossible I tend to use the analogy with health because everyone understands exercising and health if you started tomorrow and you said I need to lose 10 pounds you can be disciplined and you can do it in about three months or four months whatever it may be you can't do that with money I know too many people who are closing their eyes and saying oh it's not my problem I'm well off I go well what kind of a society do you want to live in we need to lift everybody up and empower everyone so we're all okay. This is the Personal Finance Show. Hi, I'm Bo Humphreys, and this is the Personal Finance Show. Sajal Patel wants you to know that women are 80% more likely to live in poverty in retirement. This is terrible. Seriously, why is anyone living in poverty in retirement? If someone's retired, that means they've either worked at a job or a business their whole life or supported someone else who did in one way or another, and this person now gets to live in poverty? Why is this acceptable? Well, Sajel doesn't think it's acceptable. She started a company called Sagel where she helps women build the right money mindset and skills so they can own their financial independence and achieve true financial wellness. And the thing about Sagel is that she comes from the business world and knows how to talk to businesses as well as individuals. She knows that the system itself needs to be changed and one of her mandates is to encourage businesses to build effective financial wellness programs. Financial wellness takes a village, and everyone has to be on board. Individuals, companies, the media, and the financial industry. There's a shift in the way personal finance is being delivered to the public, and Sajal is leading the way by helping reduce the money stigma and shame many women feel every day. Sajal joined me in the studio in Hamilton to tell her personal finance story. My parents had immigrated from India. So I think I learned about money not by design, really, but by necessity because, you know, it's a typical immigrant story. Uh, My parents come to Canada for a better future for their kids. Um, They're struggling. You know, it's all about saving but not just saving, it's, it's, it's saving for the future, but it's also sending money back to their extended family. Yeah, that's usually how it happens, right? It's, is that an expectation or just sending money home? Yeah. 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 That's pretty... and, and depending on where you are, like my dad was the eldest of eight. Oh, So okay, yeah. there was that expectation. He was the first person to ever leave India. Oh, really? To Canada. Of the family. And, right. what, and what, uh, what were they doing for work? What kind of work could they find when they came over? It was, you know, blue collar. They, uh, we grew up in northern, I grew up in northern Manitoba. So northern Manitoba. <laughs> okay, well, let, let's pause there. So yeah. why, why northern Manitoba? Where exactly? Thompson, so, Manitoba. <laughs> so you come to Canada. Is that just where they had a place to go? Yeah. Well, my dad actually went to um, Saskatoon or okay. Saskatchewan first, and then the nickel mine had opened up in Manitoba. Okay. So they were recruiting, and uh, and so my dad went there. And so he's, uh, he was a miner. He was a miner. He wow. was an underground mechanic. Okay. Yeah, the big machine. So your dad so spent most there. of his days underground, like he did. taking the elevator all the way down to whatever yeah. level. Yeah, he wow. did for twenty some years. Yeah. It's uh it's not you know, I mean I'm I'm from the north, I'm from Timmins, so I you know, Okay, so that's, you know that's, that's, that's you know, mining, and I was born in Sudbury, mining? that's in Sudbury's the nickel uh nickel capital with the big nickel, right? That's so right. but uh you know, I've never I've been down in the elevators, but I I can't imagine what it's like to work my my uncle Eric, you know, he worked in the mines early on. I mean, you, you don't get to do it forever, right? It's not one of these things. So 20 years and he, and he retired or? He retired. Yeah, and yeah. he moved on. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah, okay. So so just living there and seeing that, right? Yeah. Wow. <laughs> um, I think, 
also because, you know, my parents never sheltered my brother and I from money. Okay. Any of the money discussions, we knew at a very young age what money meant, uh, why they were doing what they were doing. Um, they would openly discuss, okay, well, we have to send X amount back to India and we got to save for this. When we buy things, my mom would talk about the prices and, and you know, oh, well, we could get a better deal here or there. I don't think I appreciated it as much. But what I've realized is... Um, a lot of parents do want to shelter their children because they feel like, well, we don't want to burden our children. Yeah, I was going to ask with knowing what, any of this. What is right? the motivation? Is is it like so? There's the one you just said. They don't want to burden their kids with maybe issues that they're having and mm-hmm. maybe meeting certain costs or or, uh, or obligations. And is there shame of some kind too? Is it like? Your parents didn't have this, but a lot of parents. They do. Or they just feel like it's private and it's yes. not for the family. Yeah. Now, is, is any of this cultural or is it just family to family? Like, is it more likely for people from India or for, you know, the area that your parents are from to, to widely share their their finances? I would say depending maybe where you are in terms of wealth, right? So if you are struggling, I think you openly talk about a lot of that. And culturally, yes, most of my friends who have Indian parents or are from Indian culture, not just Indian culture, even the Chinese culture, you know, just the Asian culture, we're a lot more open. So it's uh, it's partly culture in that there's already openness there. And then there's this idea of, you know, if you're struggling, maybe you wouldn't want to to let your kids know so much about that yeah but otherwise just let's talk about money yeah and let's i like talk that about it. no i mean they didn't i didn't feel like they were really struggling we didn't no. feel yeah. like we were um you know we weren't starving my parents would buy us gifts they didn't shower us with gifts but we, we would take holidays uh, but we were just very open uh, about that i think the other factor that probably played into how we grew up was English wasn't my parents' first language. So when they did get their investment statement or their bank statement, at some point they would say, hey, can you help us make sense of it? (laughs) So I feel like as a family, we learned about financial planning together. Interesting. Like I actually have memories of my brother. I think he was in grade nine or 10 filling out my parents' tax return. There's so many things that are hard for immigrants, right? And finances is one of the, the yeah. primary ones. I just had uh, Nico Barrowid on. Uh, his parents came over from Philippines. Mm-hmm. And he's working on international credit score, the one that travels between countries, okay. right? Because when they came over, they were both doctors. Well, they were both medical residents at the time. Yeah. And they became doctors in California. And still, their credit, they couldn't get like a loan or anything, even though they were doctors. Like if a doctor can't get a loan, I mean. Because <laughs> you need a credit history. And, yeah. And why would you have one if right? you're just moving? Like you it's, know, it's just so backwards, well. isn't it? Yeah. And so obviously your parents wouldn't have any ability to get credit at the time too, I'm sure. And so they had to take whatever they got in terms of housing and. Yeah. You know, and I mean, they didn't too. really believe in debt oh, that's that's, a, that's another very cultural that, thing that and that's an amazing thing what ha- what happened in in north america where debt yeah. debt is uh not only uh you know everywhere but it's like praised it's like if you yeah. go into debt to buy something it's i think this is one of the biggest problems sure. that uh we're having in in north america um it's not a cultural i mean it, it probably is a cultural thing but um I lived in Asia for 11 years and I've just come back. Spoiler. Yeah. (laughs) Spoiler alert. (laughs) Um, I I came back a few months ago and um, it's it's just a very different philosophy there. You don't take on debt. Now, the younger generation, the millennials Mm. and and probably younger are starting to get into credit card debt there. You're starting to see it. Um, But, you know, my parents were very anti-debt and they are still anti-debt. And they pass it on to you? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I still have. I, I'll take debt if I need to. And obviously, sure. you know, I'm, I'm looking for a home right now. So I'm going to have to take a bit There's, of a mortgage. That's a necessary debt. Right. Um, but I remember buying a car and um, I was short a bit of money. And my dad said, and I said, I happened to mention, well, you know, I'll get a loan or I'll 
I'll, I'll use my line of credit. And he mm. said, absolutely not. <laughs> you know, <laughs> if you're going to borrow money, you're going to borrow it from me and you can pay me interest, but you're not paying the bank interest. Okay. So he was just very adamant about it. But also maybe saving up if like, if it wasn't yeah. something so big, yeah. if you know, I want this thing now that wouldn't have existed. No. And, and that's also what my parents taught us. Right. Said, if you can't afford it, you don't buy it. So your Simple. your early money memory is basically like you just learned about money because you had to. Yeah, we yeah. had to, and uh, and as a family, we we discussed it. Yeah. You know, um, I like that. Believe it or not, I remember telling somebody I started my first job when I was sixteen, and um, I opened an RSP. At sixteen, so 16. do you know what what is the earliest age someone can do that? Uh, they, you can do it as soon as you it? start earning income. So, like, if you have a social insurance number, yeah. probably, yeah. yeah. Which, which my my son, who's uh, going to be six weeks old, he has <laughs> get one. him started. About no, they, they, they have this like five in one application when oh, the baby's wow. born, yeah. and one of them is a social insurance number. I'm like, what does he need this for? Uh, uh, what, he's not, <laughs> like what baby modeling or something? I yeah, don't know. See, earned income. Wow, if he could start. I mean, that's like, like seriously. We're, we're going to put uh, I don't know. I'll open up a corporation and put some shares in his name. Yeah, whatever I can do legally with this social insurance <laughs> number, if they want me to have it. You know, hey. they want him to have it so early because I, I thought it was like 14 or 15 that I'm like, amazed. how early can you do you remember when did you did you start working at 16 or earlier? No, I think it was 16, 16. And that's yeah. that's when you started. What did you do? I worked at uh, Walmart. OK, <laughs> just general like what yeah. cash or greeter yeah. or all of the above all stock the, had in different departments and then sometimes in, uh, as a cashier. What made you want to do Walmart? Uh, it was just a job that I I got and yeah. what was available? Did you apply to other like because uh, a lot of people start in fast food. You know, I always have these conversations. I didn't work in fast food, but it gives you and so does Walmart a lot of perspective about customer service. It right? does, and I well, I knew I couldn't be a waitress because I can't remember. Okay. Uh, <laughs> orders, and I'm sure I would have dropped a lot of dishes. Yeah, so those, two, those are the two key that things. That was just not for me. <laughs> Carrying trays but. and remembering orders. Yeah, yeah. yeah okay, so Walmart so was Walmart the So Walmart was a safer bet. <laughs> and do you happen to remember the wage at the time? I'm guessing probably eight or nine. This was after school job or weekends? Yeah, after school, I think a couple of days a week and then and then weekends. But and you had an, you made enough to open up an RSP I account. I did. I did eventually. And what did. did you, you know, we, it's a good time to talk about our RSP account is just in a yeah. shell. What did you put in the shell? Uh, I did buy a mutual fund. Um, okay. My parents had an advisor at Sun Life. Okay, yeah. So I remember telling my parents, well, you know, I should probably put some money away for my retirement. <laughs> yes, I'm only 16, <laughs> you, but, you know, I should think Those long words term. came out of your mouth, really, at the time? Yeah. Uh, I'm going to retire someday, I'm someday, sure. Someday, down the road. Uh, so my parents brought uh, their advisor in and, um, and she helped me. So you, do you, would it just been a lump sum or were you like regular contributions? Did you keep it going or? Uh, it was lump sum. I remember that. And I think I didn't do dollar cost averaging at the time. I think I just put in a lump sum and then a couple of times I would, I would top up. Do you have an opinion on, on lump sum versus dollar cost averaging and now that it's come up? Because some, I, I, I will always say, you know, spread it all out, right? Because then yeah. you don't have any risk. But some people have done studies that lump sum is just as good. So I've heard that too. Lump yeah, sum. Okay. If you're trying to time the market, it's very difficult. Yeah. I think where the benefit is for dollar cost averaging is getting into the habit sure. of doing it, right? I mean, that's the hard part is we we procrastinate. Yes. Like, oh, well, I'll, I'll put it away. I mean, think about RSP seasons and oh, everyone's man. chasing. Um, they're trying to get, meet the deadline. I'm thinking, why didn't you do this earlier? But that's, it's human nature. We get busy and, yeah. and we mean well and, and we don't People do it. People need incentives. Um, or, right. Yeah. So by dollar cost averaging, it is, you're just not thinking about it. You've set something up. It's coming out of your bank account and and you're contributing. And before you know it, hey, you have this money and, and you're not really 
trying to time the market because obviously that's very difficult to do. Well, and it, yeah, just to explain this, we call it dollar cost averaging because it's averaging out your money, right? So right. if like, you know, something's worth, uh, a stock is like $100 or let's say an ETF because right? I don't want people going and buying one stock. <laughs> um, so an ETF price is like $100 per share of the ETF. And, uh, you know, every month you put in a, a, a hundred um, and next month uh, it goes down to 98. Well, you can buy a little bit more of that right. with your hundred. And then the next month, well, it goes 102. Well, you, you're buying a little bit less yeah. and it averages out over time. Right. Meanwhile, if you just put it all in when it was 102, let's say. Mm -hmm. Right. And then next month it goes down. Well, now your 102 is worth 100. And you just lost money. You don't have the opportunity to buy more of it with your same amount of money. That's right. Right? Yeah. And so by spreading it out, and, and I, it takes away the emotions, right? It takes away the emotions. And like that, you said, that's the thing, People right? are waiting. People are like, yeah. oh, I'm not, I've actually heard people like, oh, I'm waiting for the right time to put the money in. Because yeah. like, for what time? The time is now, yeah. isn't it? <laughs> yeah, I mean, they've done studies of this, and I wouldn't know the exact number, but um, you know, Tony Robbins has actually talked about this. Sure. And and if you had missed, I think it was past ten years, if you had missed four of the top days, you would have been down like twenty or thirty percent. I mean, yeah, just by trying to play the market. So it, it's so it's funny. one of those very difficult things to do. So just go um, regular, regular, just go regular. Automate, set it and forget it is what I I like to say. Right? Yeah, because you're getting into the habit. I think that's the most important thing is you're getting into the habit of putting money away. Um, you know, and I and this these are things I teach in workshops Absolutely. because um, uh, we we typically tend to save after we've spent. And I said, mm. you have to do it the other yeah, way Yeah, other way around. Yeah. Save and, and treat it like it's an expense. Yeah. Put it away and then you won't, you'll be, you'll, won't feel as guilty spending the rest. I mean, I'm like, do whatever you want with the rest. Spend it if you want. But, yeah. but as long as you're putting away 10, 15, 20%, whatever it is of your income, pay yourself first, right? Um, you're just, long term, you're that and and investing it you're going to be so much further ahead and you wouldn't have even had to think about it no you don't even think do people know this and then don't do it or they, they just don't know pay yourself first uh, i don't think a lot of people do know i mean it might be different here i, I don't know but there is you know i've had conversations and we're like what 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 is that so i explain this concept to them where did um, it come from? Where did where did the spend all your money and then save whatever's left uh, come from? Is it TV and and all the media telling us to spend, 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 and then if you yeah. have some left over, then you can save? I don't think it's designed that way. I just think, um, you know, I, I had this conversation not that long ago, and I said, think about where we are today versus where we were, at least when I, when I was ten or eleven, right? I mean. Going back to my parents, yeah. So they had a black and white TV. Sure. They had two channels. Oh, what what decade we is it? Just so we don't know, it's <laughs> okay. not nineties. Seventies. Seventies. The seventies. So black 70s. and white. That's yeah. that's rare. I'm still aging right? myself. In the seventies, yeah, a black and white TV would have right? been rare. Um, no such thing as internet. No such yeah, thing no. as cell phone. Yeah, yeah. No such thing as cable. Hmm. Uh, my parents. I mean, luxury was eating out once a week, which we did, and that was about it. Fast forward to today, oh. and we have Netflix, we have cable, we have internet, we have smartphones. Uber uh, Eats. Not Uber <laughs> Eats, um, and a plan, and then all our kids need cell phones. And think about the costs that have added up. This is not just inflation. This is that we, it's just ballooned. Um, and yeah, I would argue this day and age, we do need internet. Sure. Maybe not a smartphone, but we probably need a cell we phone these days. need to be connected days. in some way. So sometimes we don't think about how much expenses have actually gone up and our wages have not kept up. And then we wonder why we're struggling. Mm -hmm. Then on top of that, we have on our phone, you know, it's, well, we got to, you got to have coffee outside and you got to do this and you got to experience this uh, food and, and spend this. And so we're inundated. And it's all with, normalized. Like all of these, all, all this excess. Yeah. You know, I, I, uh, I drive Uber, right? I, I started in September. Ah, uh, I've done okay. probably 350 trips uh, right. with Uber. Some of those, how is it? very few of those were Uber <laughs> Eats because I did not enjoy that part of it. Uh -huh. I love Uber. I drive people in the morning. Yeah. Uh, you know, the money's fine. Uh, it's really just a, a nice way to 
talk to people. Right. And uh, I like that aspect of it. Mm-hmm. But Uber Eats is um, what I've noticed is it's people who definitely cannot afford this. And it's like you're paying almost uh, double the amount yeah. of the item that you're ordering. To get it delivered, it's never more than like five minutes away. Like right. It's like I'm driving an hour to deliver somebody like that special pizza that they love, you know, in the city. Yeah. It's this is something that should not exist. And my one of my biggest peeves for uh, Uber uh, for riders is uh, kids taking Uber to high school. You're late for school, so you're getting in an Uber. Wow, what, really? What privilege? <laughs> what entitlement to think you can you take an Uber? You know, when I was Uber. your age, I used to have to walk through five feet of Seriously. snow in minus 40. Have some foresight. Yeah. Have some planning. And, it, and if you are late for school, you walk and you, you be late yeah. and learn a lesson. Yeah. You don't take an Uber no. three minutes. But I'll tell you about what's happened is... There is so much peer pressure. And when I talk about money too, I really delve into the behavioral part of it because we need to be a lot more mindful of money. Yes. You know, we never think about money in that sense. We, yeah. we meditate and there's a lot of people who are meditating now, but when it comes to money, we don't think in that way. And I think if we actually just stepped back a minute and actually just thought about money differently, we would make much wiser choices because money's this thing, right? It's okay. It's a dollar bill or a coin or whatever, but that's actually not what money is. Mm. Money is just a manifestation of our values Mm -hmm. and how we're attaching our values to it. And in today's day and age where we're stressed and we're bombarded with all this noise and information, I get why people say, I'm just too tired. I'm going to order Uber. It's convenience. We're sold that, oh, you know, it should be convenient. But we're not actually thinking about the ramifications of that. Can I afford this, first of all? And and what is this doing? Yeah, yeah, like why? And what's causing you to want to be this way? You know, if we go dig a little deeper, maybe it's because you're working a job you don't like or you're working too much. Or you're unhappy and you're not dealing with that either. But we, that's another story. We can right. talk about that. Well, we are in an era of instant gratification. Oh. And this is what worries me because mm-hmm. retirement planning, financial planning, there's nothing instant about it. You know, yeah. you have to think long term. And so we're fighting this battle. And, you know, I have a lot of people who tell me, well, I'm not going to worry about it now. I'll worry about it 10 years or 20 years from now. I said, well... What's going to happen when you're 60 or 70 and you run out of money? Yeah. You can't magically come up with two or 300 or $400,000. It's, it's impossible. No, you can't. Uh, very different. I mean, you know, I tend to use the analogy with health because everyone understands mm-hmm. exercising and health. And I said, look, if you started tomorrow and you said, I need, it, I need to lose 10 pounds, you can be disciplined and you can do it in about three months or four months, whatever it may be. You can't do that with money. No. Yeah, that's that's you can't accelerate yeah. it, right? No. It's the it's, it's it's a long-term game. Compound interest is the is the key, right? It's, or you know, dividend and, and reinvestment. And it's magical. Or, yeah, it, it is magical, <laughs> it and, really and is. it it's, it really happens. You know, once you have the big bulk of money, then yeah. the magic happens. But you need to build that up first. And we can let's t- let's uh, let's table this. We're going to talk about it a little more later. Let's go back to you. Uh-huh. So this is what you know now, obviously, yeah. but you didn't always know this. Your parents were, they were obviously frugal and mm-hmm. wise with money and they, cause they had to be right. Mm-hmm. They had no choice. And they, were they saving first? They were saving, saving, saving yeah. first. And then, uh, and then keeping the luxuries down, right? Dinner out once a week. So you took this on, I, it seems, yes. right? So this became your, your personal guide and you're opening your RSP. I did. When you're so 16. my parents had a mantra: save, yeah. Yeah. spend, yeah. share. Save, spend, share. That's that's right. fantastic. Great. So you carried this forward. You're finishing high school. You're still working at Walmart. Did you work at Walmart the whole time? For a couple of years couple until of I years. went to university. You did. So it was yeah. all high school. Yeah. Okay. So then uh, you went to university. Where'd you go? And how was it paid for? Went to University of Manitoba. Okay. In Winnipeg. Um, the big, big city, big city boy was at a big <laughs> city compared to Thompson. Uh, yeah, I was like, wow, wow. How was it paid for? My parents helped my parents. helped. uh, my brother was there already. So we had a house. It was my uncle's house. So we had a place to live. We shared that he was in med school. So I barely ever saw him. Okay. But yeah. And I used whatever my savings was for spending pretty much. 
but so my parents you, did help. So they helped, like because tuition. I suppose by this point, your dad has been in the mining business for a while. Yeah, and he's my he, underground. He's probably making okay money. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's not like he was struggling. They they started early. They came over. They had to build it all up, send money home. But after a while, mining money is good money. It's just yeah. hard work. Yeah, yeah. So it's, and, it's like danger pay. again, right? Asian family, you invest in your kids' education. Yeah. Oh, did they do RESPs or whatever? They just put money aside. I don't know. I they don't think didn't RESPs, RESPs didn't. didn't okay. Yeah, they didn't yeah. exist. But so whatever. I'm aging myself, <laughs> but they didn't exist. <laughs> no, I, for a lot of people, uh, yeah. early days, uh, I don't even know. I, I, I meant to look this up because the last time I talked to somebody about it, uh, we weren't sure when they started. But, you know, I mean, you could have just put money in something, yeah. right? And yeah. may pay the tax on it, I guess. Right. But they put money away for you. Okay, so they helped, they paid your tuition mm-hmm. and you were working during school? I wasn't. No. No, they were very much they know, didn't fo- want that. focused okay. on school. But I did work every summer. Okay, and what yeah. you, did you, you didn't do Walmart? No. <laughs> <laughs> uh, different jobs. You know, I, sure. I worked, uh, I love telling this, I worked at a golf course, a yeah. private golf course. Okay. I used to cut the lawn. Oh, Believe really? it or not. Nice. Uh, I remember I was the only female there and I just, I was like, I want to be outside. And and I remember being interviewed. He's like, are you sure you want to work here? There's like 20 guys. I go, yep. Yeah. Sure, I can do this. If a guy can do this, I can definitely awesome. do this. Awesome, yeah, of course. Um, and I dragged my best friend along and said, you're going to have to work with me because I really don't want to be the only girl there. Um, sure. and, and yeah, it was a great job. So I did that. I, I worked at the university one year in admissions. Okay. That's all little skills from these, these mm-hmm. jobs, right? Part-time, yeah. like the Walmart, obviously, the customer service. That's apparently really big for when you're about to start out in the world, yeah, right? absolutely. Uh, the perspective for that. And then... Admission sounds more like you got some an office admin type, a little bit more uh, analytical experience. for sure, and and, um, and you're fielding calls from people. Yeah, and you know, landscaping, mowing the lawn. It's like that's like hard, you know, hard labor. A lot of yeah. us don't do you know physical jobs no. or have never done a physical job if we've always had yeah. like knowledge work. Yeah, and we don't maybe don't know what that's like. I always had the attitude of. Nothing was beneath me. Yeah. You know, go in and do your best. Sure. And do it with pride and and learn something from it. There is every job out there you can learn something something. from. You're always going to take something, even if you hate it. Any bad jobs in there? Or not so good ones? I guess you would remember. remember I actually enjoyed all of them. That's good. Well, it's because of your attitude. I mean, (laughs) I'd like to think so. I don't know if you had the option of not enjoying it. If you go in with that attitude, you're just going to be like, yeah, this is it. And, you know, I'm going to learn something from this. Hey, I learned that. And some people may be like, oh, being outside, I get sunburned and this or that. Oh, or no, I, or I'm, I get heat exhaustion uh, right. you know, from one. I'm allergic to grass. I'm allergic to grass. I couldn't, I couldn't do that. Not all summer. You know, I, can, I yeah. can be out. I can have fun. I can do things. But if I had to do that for work, yeah. not possible. I learned a me. lot about a golf course and how it's put together and maintaining it. Did you, you know, pay attention to the thing. back end? Like yeah. all of that stuff too. Yeah. So you're picking it all up. Okay. So, well, what did you take in school? I took finance. Okay. And I why? why? Finance and accounting. How did you know? Did you take accounting and finance in, in high school? No, I didn't. Here's what's interesting. I was going into thinking I was going to be a pharmacist. Oh, interesting. <laughs> and then okay. I thought, this is really boring. <laughs> I, I just can't imagine me being a pharmacist. And no offense to any pharmacist. My wife there. is a pharmacist. Oh, there so. we go. <laughs> yeah, no offense. I have family members and, and really good friends who are. Yes. It just wasn't me. And Sure, uh, yeah, it's not for everybody. No, and I just, you know, to be honest, I thought, well, what's going to be fun and guaranteed that I'm going to be employable? And I thought, oh, business. No. Why not? So I wasn't actually looking to go into that. Okay. Um, But once I started the courses, I I loved it. Yeah. Yeah, I just loved it. I got to tell my nephew's taking management right now he's taking finance and he doesn't enjoy it at all and really and a couple of weeks back we were going through his old exam and i i was like oh i was explaining it to him i, said, I can't believe it. i i still remember all of this stuff but um yeah i loved it so when you say it. finance just for uh, everybody listening mm-hmm. what does that specifically mean because like, there's a lot of different well, ways yeah, to look at business it, especially right but, corporate finance yeah. economics um so was it analyzing like looking at businesses specifically? yeah a lot of it was looking at businesses so ana- and accounting as well. Yeah. Right. It so, all just kind of folds in there. Right? Yeah. I took, I took a general business degree and I focused in accounting. Right. So yeah, she, it's right there on the wall. There we go. Bachelor of administrative and commercial studies. University so of I'm really good Western. with Excel. Right. Yeah. I went to, yeah, I went to Western and I got this retirement, uh, registered retirement consultant, uh, designation thing too. 
which really just uh, means I know a little bit more about, you know, just the things that happen in retirement. Well, <laughs> see, that's interesting, right? Because personal finance yeah. is not taught. Yeah, it's, it's not, not part of a management. At least when I was there. Oh yeah, it was none of this was personal. Fi- it was like a manufacturing no. business. Yeah, like I I, I took management a, accounting a strategy um, class on how to you know o- operate supply chain. Right, and I'm, I'm like. <laughs> Okay, well, but I don't know how to you know balance my checkbook I at know. the time. It's like wh- how are we learning this, but not the one hand and not the other. It Why? is my biggest sure. pet peeve. Absolutely, that this is not taught in high schools. Yes, the reason it's not taught is because teachers don't feel comfortable teaching it. Teachers usually don't know this stuff either. Yeah, of course. I, but but not, what if they're I'm learning not even from pointing a, teachers? Most people no, don't know this stuff. But what if they have a workbook and you know, just like you know, they might not love geography, but. Maybe they're teaching that. Maybe let's. I um, you know, I think Ontario had started it at some point, yes, and uh, I don't know where it stands uh, now. There's, I think there, uh, yeah, there's some funding in the last couple of years, moving in the right direction. It, it it needs to be taught. It's a basic life skill, but not enough. And the I think the biggest thing is they're not really in the right mind, the frame of mind, to to absorb that stuff at that time. Mm. Teach it all you want in high school. But it's later in life when they're going to need when they're going to really be listening, yeah. you know. And yeah. so I, that's why we are still needed. That's why you are still needed, right? All every anything about financial literacy is still needed at different stages of life because you might uh, be thirty five or forty before you're like, oh, you know, I really should kind of crack down on this. Mm-hmm. Mm, did I learn anything about this? I don't know. I don't remember. Oh, it's interesting that you say that because I think the first step is tackling the behavior. And perhaps that's okay. a bit of a, it might p- cause some problems in, in high school because, you know, teachers may say, well, this is the way it is and it mm. should be. And then they go home and the parents are saying, well, that's well, it. That's not what we believe in. We need in. buy-in so, from all sides, right? You do. Um, they've, and, and they've done studies about this as well. They said um, you can teach children financial literacy, but if they're going home and their parents are modeling something very different, oh. you're not actually going to have the impact. So you actually need to create a program that gets the family involved but then we get to got to get rid of the stigma mm-hmm. of like even just discussing sharing this. like discussing salary yeah. i don't know if it did were your, did your parents go that far did you know oh, how yeah. much they made? i knew yeah. exactly right and and i've had other guests say that too and mm-hmm. that's surprising to me because my dad was a dentist right i could mm-hmm. have an idea of how much but i i wouldn't ask him mm-hmm. that was like kind of programmed into me you don't talk about this stuff yeah and yeah. i'm trying to deprogram everybody yeah what, Why? What's yeah? Why what's the is problem? There such a stigma and shame. And and if somebody it. makes more money or less money than you, mm-hmm. now of course the where the really important is if we all start talking about it, then maybe we'll get rid of this wage gap. Yeah. that's happening, yes. right? Yeah, <laughs> and it'll all be brought to light. And I know a couple of companies in the states have actually done that. They did some wage audits. One of the big tech companies did it, found, and then sort of equalized the salaries. Found that there was a wage gap, like. Here's some concrete evidence. <laughs> Let's talk about it, right? When but you course, demand transparency, yeah. you'll yes. you'll quickly see how things change. And so, is it that? Yeah. Is it is it uh, you know whoever's trying to maintain the wage gap is you know they're holding on to their privacy, right? If it all came out, then would the you know so th- it's like the world would explode or something? It's because we're in a society that judges people rightly or wrongly. Uh. Um, by how much money they make. If they don't make enough, it's their shame or stigma. If they make too much, it's like, oh, look at that person. They're arrogant. And I go back to what I was saying. It has nothing to do with that. I know very, very wealthy people who are incredibly generous and in fact sometimes feel bad <laughs> that yeah. they, they have come into this wealth and do whatever they can to help their community. And then you can see the opposite. So I, I, I agree with you. I think we have to erase the, the shame and the stigma. There's stats out there or research that shows we rather talk about sex and death before we'll talk <laughs> about money. Yeah. I know so many couples, I've had so many women and men actually come up to me and say, I will not discuss money with my spouse. I go, but you oh. live under the same roof. And, and how are you supposed to reach your, the same financial goals or life goals if you're not discussing it? So we, don't, we don't talk about it. Well, the comedian uh, Ali Wong, uh, she, uh, she's a head writer for the series Fresh Off the Boat. I don't know if you ever uh, saw I haven't one. seen it. But it's really I've funny, really funny. But yeah. uh, she, um, she has stand-up. Uh, she always she's always pregnant when she does her stand up. She like <laughs> she has two stand up HBO specials and she's pregnant both oh, times. Funny. 
but she did not know that her husband had tons of school debt. Like they got married and then, then she found out. And because she was a high paid TV writer, she paid it off. I think that's what the story is. She, she (laughs) took care of it. And, but like, what a, what a thing, Yeah, you know, like you don't bring that into a marriage. I think third, third date, second date. What do you think? (laughs) When do you start talking about money? Oh, I think past the third. (laughs) When it's getting serious, maybe. I'm like, I'm putting it all on the table, right? Yeah. I I, think because it's, it's been my world. Sure. I've, openly talked about it with yeah i guess people we're, i've dated and we're they've different. told me i've always known what well, when you open the up then they open yeah. up yeah but you don't think people should be compelled to when it's getting serious that's your that's the I rule think, yeah <laughs> i would say that's that's a safe bet okay that's because yeah. good... <laughs> sometimes it can be a deal breaker but <laughs> well but wouldn't you want to know now yeah. like you know oh, yeah what do you mean i went on how many right like what a waste right and... oh you know because you know i had a gambling addiction i was in a lot yeah. of debt i was you know i had a terrible credit rating when i met my wife yeah and it took a, another four years for you know i was back in net positive by that point paying it off saving money building a positive net worth but uh, only four years after we met did my credit rating, you know, get erased mm-hmm. uh, or the, the consumer proposal get erased from my credit report. And then it's just like this empty space, which is what the, yeah. the bankers are like, what is this? But they don't know because it's gone. Right. Yeah. And then yeah. the credit rating goes way back up. If you wait until you're both going to apply for a mortgage together to talk about this stuff, I would I would have to say, you know, you can't use my credit like you'd be better off applying for a mortgage entirely mm-hmm. by yourself because I will bring you down. I don't know. It, I think it's really important to talk about it. And, but also whenever it's, it makes it's also understanding that all of us have funny personalities. We bring certain baggage in. We, we hold on to certain values that, that money brings. You know, I always say, well, we, think about how we judge people. We're like, why did that person buy that car? That's, that was a waste of money. And, yeah. and then I'll, you know, someone else will go on a vacation and think, why did you do that? Like, we all have it. And so it's important to understand where that came from. And often, most often, that came from a very young age. Yeah. We developed our values based on what we saw with our parents or our friends. Um, and it, it determined how we were going to place those values and how we were, go- what kind of relationship we would have with money. It starts at a very, very young age. So it's not school. It's not, it, it, it's, it's it's not school, it's school. That, that's a problem. Because no. you, like you said, if they come home from school and the parents aren't, aren't lined up, yeah. then it doesn't matter. It's it's let's educate the parents on how to talk to their children yeah. about money. Yeah. Right? Isn't yeah. that like what that plus school then then that would be the complete package. Yeah. And then we continue with what we're doing in adulthood. And they'll be like, yeah, I learned those, like you said, the behavior. I learned those early. So this makes sense to me, mm-hmm. what you're saying. Well, think about this. I, you know, I said I lived in Asia for 11 years. Mm-hmm. It's very hard to find personal finance experts there. Really? Yeah. You can't really go to a bookstore and say, find a wealth management for dummies or some kind of. A, it's, Is it, that true? It, yeah, okay. I didn't realize difficult. that. And yet they don't have a debt problem. Yeah. Okay. You know, Is that why then? Yeah. Because they don't need. Well, maybe they don't need I us. I don't know. <laughs> um, here, you know, I'm fascinated that we have all the tools. We we have robo advisors. We have. There's you know, everything. it's not like there where oh, well, you have to have a minimum of a million dollars before a banker even talks to you. Uh, it's very much geared towards high net worth people. Mm. Here, you know, you can it's go to a bank. Now. You have yeah, you have a lot of options, and yet we're struggling here. Which tells me it's not literacy. Oh. I, you know, yeah. I mean, it's available. You can find it online. There's lots of great information it. online. Yeah. It's behavioral. And often what I'm told is, they said, look, we know there's a lot of information out there, but it's, it's just overload. Like, I don't know how to make sure. sense of all this sure. information. And where do I start? Yes. So when I design my workshops yes. for women, I walk them through. Like, here's how it's applicable to your life. Yes. Uh, This is how you have to think about it. And then you make the decision. But I'll actually show you step by step what you could do. And yeah, you're not going to learn everything. But my objective is to get them interested in money and be able to apply their own situation to financial planning and vice versa. Okay, so let's just continue with your life. And we're we're almost we're going to get to you're living in, in Asia for 11 years. Mm-hmm. So you graduate with a degree in finance. Yep. 
And you work in Manitoba for a bit or no? I did, yeah, for an advisor. Okay, so in the you got all your licenses, firm. so you're... I got my licenses, Yeah, so yes. what, uh, what, you have some designations or one uh, designation, right? Uh, back then, I, I mean, I, you know, you had to write, you had to get your Canadian securities yeah, course so and your options and whatever else Mutual there was. funds license. Yeah. Or to sell. There's a few of those. At the same time, I started studying for my CGA. Okay. So, yeah. Um, right. I always thought I was I did going as to, well. Did you? Well, I didn't yeah. finish it. I chose not to. Yeah. I got right to the end and I said, <laughs> it's like no accounting for me. Yeah. I finished it and then I didn't keep up my membership because I there never really used it again. But I did it because I thought I was going to be a portfolio manager. Okay. That was always my goal. I was going to run money. Um, for, P- for individuals or well, no. big companies, big companies, right? like yeah. Okay, run so mutual funds. Okay, or you're, por- like you're you're managing the portfolio of securities yeah. inside a fund. Is that that was mean? my aim. Yeah, okay. that was my goal. So I thought, well, sure, you know, you should be able to understand a balance sheet and everything else yeah. if you want to study accounting is applicable to everything. It's yeah, it, it, it really, really is. is. <laughs> so I started studying that, and and I remember a broker telling me, well, why do you want to do that? Why don't you become a, an advisor? And I loved being an advisor. I loved talking to people yeah. about their money and helping them and, and understanding what mattered to them. Um, to be honest, the only reason I didn't do it is I thought, well, if I start building a book, I'm going to be stuck in Winnipeg. That's it, right? <laughs> I was like, I don't want to be stuck in Winnipeg. And at that time, it's, we're not talking about like online, remote. It's not that no, easy, right? No. So like t- <laughs> today, I can move anywhere right. and keep coaching clients with me. Because exactly. I do it online anyway. Yeah. Right. Uh, we don't even meet in person. Yeah. So it doesn't matter. But so yeah, I, I hear you though. <laughs> right. Fixed so place. I had you know the big dream. I was like, I'm going to move to New York or Toronto or somewhere. So I ended up studying that and and um, and then eventually getting my CFA. Okay. Designation. So that's um, uh, chartered financial analyst. Yes. And then I moved to Toronto to work in equity research. Wow. What does that mean? Uh, it's analyzing companies okay. and, and making for the whom? call on, uh, it was for Bank of Montreal. Okay. BMO. And, uh, making the call about what, uh, whether you should buy a stock or sure. sell a stock, you know, looking at Internally? a company. Yep. Yeah. 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 So it, you know, Excel and models and, sure. and talking about all of that. So that was, you know, I don't know how much I really enjoyed it. I think it was probably the sector I was in, which was pipelines and utilities, which was a little bit boring. Um, so you're behind the scenes for this. Yeah. Uh, so you go from uh, financial advisor working with people to behind the scenes. Uh, nobody sees you. I, I picture a closet or something, but no, you're yeah. just in an, uh, yeah. a cubicle. Probably. I would talk to portfolio managers. Sure. About it. That was it. <laughs> That's it. Right. It but nobody on the outside. Right. And then somehow you go from there to being on TV uh-huh. in Asia. <laughs> Uh-huh. I always thought journalism was a very noble profession, but I loved the business side of it. You yeah, know, I loved the finance. So, I had a friend one day. I was traveling, and he and he called me, and he said, um, "Hey, BNN, yeah, is is looking for a producer. Do you want to do it in Canada? In Canada." Yeah. I thought. Well, he said, "Well, I'm warning you. It's gonna be. It's like half the pay, <laughs> less than that." But I just thought, you know what? Why why wouldn't I try it? I'll but you try don't have it. any background in, in, in TV or anything. No, no, nothing. But they, they but like I the finance business. part. So they, that business. was more important yeah. at the time. Interesting. Yeah. And so I, I learned the other skills. But okay. what I found was when I was actually doing the research packs for the anchors yeah. and, and putting the questions, um, I, the feedback I was getting from the anchors were saying, wow, you really know this stuff. Okay. Like the yeah. CEOs are telling me I just asked the best questions. <laughs> so they started depending on me. And I thought, Ooh. yeah. Well, maybe I should be on sure. air, <laughs> which was crazy at the time because I was one of the shyest people. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Like, you wouldn't guess now no. that I was. But um, yeah, the thought of being on TV, I just wanted to throw up just thinking about Well, that's it. so funny that you, yeah. uh, you would go for it. Well, why would you go for it if you were so... So shy. I think because I felt like I had something to give. You sure. know, I I, okay. um, I had a viewpoint. I understood this stuff, and it was a great medium to to be able to talk about it. Mm-hmm. I did that, and then I ended up getting a job at CNBC in in Singapore, being a correspondent there for six years, covering how, Asian markets. How does Singapore come up? Like how how do you go from one country to another? How does that happen? I just I applied. You just applied to <laughs> I it. I applied, uh, thinking it was a long shot because it was CNBC, which was you know kind of my dream job, um, and I got it. Wow. Yeah, I got it. I mean, the feedback was they could train me up on the 
on the on air. Yeah. Um, although they had seen what I was like because I sent them a demo tape, uh, but they knew I knew my business stuff, and they said you you know more than most of our anchors. So okay. Yeah. So I knew I had that edge. So that's that's the most important thing it seems then. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I mean, obviously you would have to have a, you know, a voice and a, a you know, personality as well and <laughs> things yeah. like that too. If you didn't, if your demo tape was terrible, I'm sure it wouldn't have, uh, right. the business stuff wouldn't have over it and everything. Yeah. But so you, you moved to Singapore. I moved to Singapore. And it's you, terrifying. you were in Singapore. Six years. Six years. Yeah. And then uh, where after that? I came back thinking I was going to stay. I yeah. thought I was away long enough and I, I was missing my family. I was anchoring at BNN. So I was back at okay. BNN again. But, you know, at the time I, I knew that the whole journalism industry, it was changing. Yeah. You know, and, and not necessarily for the better. So I knew I had a shelf life. I knew I wanted to get back into the industry in some capacity. Um, so I was just, I was figuring that out. And then, uh, and then Manual Life came knocking and said, hey, do you want to run our PR in Asia? You, okay. have to, you have to come back to Hong Kong. <laughs> and I thought, well, you know, here, it's, it's a big insurance and wealth company. Sure. sure. Um, so I went back <laughs> uh, and I did that. And it was, it was obviously a very different skill set. You know, I'm learning well, communications. You don't have PR and, experience mm-hmm. either. Like, yep. you, it's like <laughs> all of this stuff is really peripheral, right? Uh-huh. It's like, sure, yeah, you're communicating with the public about business on TV, yeah. but that's not technically PR, but it helps with PR job. It does. And yeah. knowing your stuff obviously helps with all of these jobs. Yeah. And often Just communication so in the strategy part, you do have to understand a company strategy. That's it. And how yeah. the communication piece fits into conveying their strategy. But all, uh, and also we, you know, we shouldn't forget that you have a, a business degree mm-hmm. and you're a chartered financial analyst. Right. So all of this stuff helps people too. Like people could get jobs just yeah. with those things too. Right. Yeah. So it all just kind of adds up. So now you're in PR manual life for, is that where, is that the three, last job? Or yeah. That, three and a half years. And then, then you move back to here. Yeah. Well, I started <laughs> have my to say business. Where you live. I, I was going to say the, yeah, the town. Here, you know, I'm not going to yeah. re- reveal. <laughs> here in Canada. In here in Canada. It's big. It's big. Oh. <laughs> but in the meantime, you're starting your I started your business. this business. Yeah. Yes. And it was could, something that I had been in my mind for a very, very long so time. So about 55 minutes in, you could say the name of the business. <laughs> I can say the name. Yeah. <laughs> about time. So Sage L. Yeah, Sage which L. Which is a play on wise women. Yes. Oh, yeah. I like that. Right. But and it, my name. And your name. And right? my name. Exactly. Sage Joel. Yeah. And then okay. Sage L. Yeah. It's so close. Two different words. I like yeah. it. I like it. Yeah. Because, you know, in the back of my mind, you know, everything I was doing leading up to this, Bo, was I realized that there was a huge gap in the mm. media industry, in the financial industry, and in really helping people reach financial security. Right. And, and you were talking globally, but you noticed Glo- it locally globally. where you where you were. Yeah, but it is everywhere. Globally. Yeah. Um, just because the the industry is designed, I mean, you're you're taking care of your investors, your shareholders first. I hate to say it, but that's the reality of it. Mm. And you're starting to see this shift now that they're like, well, no, we have to think about our customers because that eventually will lead to profits and yeah, you know what what matters for them. Um, and so. I I thought, you know, I, I really want to use all my skills. So the financial skills, the the journalism skills, speaking, even the PR and the communications and the strategic stuff that I had learned at, at Manual Life and elsewhere, mm-hmm. of putting something together where I can really help. In my case, I chose women. You know, yes. That's the niche I've gone after for many reasons. Women are uniquely challenged. And, and you know, we talked about the wage gap. Yeah. So they make less, they live longer. They typically, I like to use the term financial capability because it's not just literacy, as we've talked about. It is behavior, confidence, mm. how much we engage with the financial services industry. And on all of those fronts, women like men. And by the way, men aren't great at this either. If you actually yeah. look at the stats, <laughs> yeah. they're, they're not fantastic. They're not rock stars by any means, but women do like men okay. in all of them. And yet... When you think about all of those challenges because they are saving less, they're entitled to less pension, they're 80% more likely than men 
to live in poverty during retirement. Oh, wow. And yet a lot of women don't know this. And of course, in today, uh, if anyone's heading to retirement today, they started in a, a time when the patriarchy was rampant yes. and they didn't even have really much of a yeah. choice in any of this. Yeah. And I, 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 I saw a little bit of uh, your YouTube video where you were talking about someone whose husband died mm-hmm. and the husband was taken care of. You know, like it doesn't even have to be husband-wife sort of situation. No. If somebody else is taking care of all of your money, that's no good, You're right? vulnerable. You're vulnerable. You and then really something happens to them or you uh, disconnect in some way with that person and yeah. now you don't know how to pay a bill. Yeah. What a, it's scary. What a terrible thing to think about. It, Everyone it really should be empowered in, in that way, yeah. right? Yeah. And that's sort of part of your motivation as well. It is. I, you know, I tell people all the time, no one's going to care about your money more than you. Yeah. No one. That's right. <laughs> not, not your spouse, not your parents, not your kids. I mean, no one. But it's comfortable if you don't like finances, yeah. uh, you know, if you, if you actually are like, Oh, I hate this, you know, for mm-hmm. whatever reason that may be mm-hmm. to give it to somebody else and be like, yeah, you take care of yeah. it until you realize you know, what's happening. And there's nothing wrong with having someone to take care of it. I, you know, okay, I say yeah. if you have a partner and he, you decide he is say in this case, say it's he, sure. um, and he wants to run it fine, but you still need to know, understand. Yeah. Yeah. You need, and you need to know where it is. Yeah. A lot of people are like, I have no idea where our money is and what happens. I'm like, what happens if you get divorced or he passes away or yeah the divorce rate is 40 50 percent in in canada right yeah sorry but you know the stats so maybe show that you might be taking care of your money at some point true true so maybe you say the you know the husband uh, just to use a traditional heterosexual marriage as an mm-hmm. example here mm-hmm. uh so there's a husband takes care of like the day-to-day stuff and you know the minutiae and all that kind of stuff but like maybe once a month or you you talk about it you talk about it together and you review this is where all the money's at you don't have to do the transactional stuff i'll take care of that because you hate it it doesn't even have to be once a month whatever once a quarter whenever yeah not even that often Uh, but just enough to 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 feel involved yeah so that's just one angle of it but you're right that uh, in in general uh you're saying it's all of this is not great for women the the setup the current setup is really poor. And the financial industry has just made it too complicated. Yes. And it doesn't need to be complicated. No. I teach this in, in workshops. And mm-hmm. it's and, I, and I'll tell you, Bo, I have women, like, in one, you know, I had 28 women come in. Pretty much all of them admitted. There's maybe two or three that had some general understanding of mutual funds and, sure. and asset allocation. The rest had no idea. Uh, and two and a half hours later, they, were, they felt really empowered. Mm. And I got emails six months later saying I've started investing. Nice. Thank you. I've started saving. It actually wasn't that difficult. I go, it's, it's, it's not if it's taught the right way it's, it's, and you make yeah. it relatable. Cause words and, like asset allocation. Right. It's but, confusing. But then you explain yeah. Then you what explain it what it is, what it right? is right? Take out the jargon. Yeah. There's no need for it. I think that's a skill I learned being in TV. Sure. Is, uh, maybe not CNBC because it is, it's very jargon heavy. It's but supposed BNN to be for, is yeah. not. It's, oh, it's okay. really geared towards retail. And I'll never forget one of the anchors that I used to produce for. And, you know, I used to use these big words like yeah. maybe asset allocation. Sure. But, sure. but, you know, and he'd say, what does this mean? And I'd, I remember I'd roll my eyes thinking, oh, my God. And he said, Sajal, Pretend you are explaining it to a 90-year-old grandmother yeah. whose second language is English. Oh, that, there you go. And if you can't do that, no one's going to understand. Yeah. And it really hit me. I thought, you know, you're absolutely right. Like, you know, we, we sometimes hide behind this jargon. If you can't explain it simply, then you don't know what you're talking about often. Well, you <laughs> so, probably know Randy Cass then. Yes, I do. Yeah, so Randy was we on episode together. 15 episode yeah. fifteen of the oh, podcast. There you go. And uh, Rand, he's like, because he knew we were presenting to, you know, we were talking to regular Canadians and he does a lot too. But when we were talking about his background, uh, he, he slipped into uh, uh, the more complicated jargon a little bit. And he said, first he said arbitrage and then he said, he shortened it and he said arb. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm like, no, 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 let's no, get, no, no. let's get out of that. Right. So I was like, when he said like something about arbing something, <laughs> I'm like, we're way, we're way past. Right. I'm thinking in my head, wow, this is, uh, you know, uh, I don't yeah, know if anyone's going to understand. Yeah, I don't even understand what he's talking about in the context of, yeah. you know, building funds or whatever it is he w- did before. Right. right. And, uh, so yeah, it's easy. 
if we, because we know things, you know, I didn't get my designation, but I got 95% of a CGA in my head, right? right. Yeah. <laughs> and enough to know that, you know, we were talking about convincing CEOs of a company uh, of the monetary value of a social effort, right? Like mm-hmm. something that they started trying to do in the 70s. Mm-hmm. And we're still doing it now, mm-hmm. right? It's like, why do we have to convince people today that caring what their customers think is important? Yeah. <laughs> right? Yeah. And, and realizing that, hey, you know, uh, women can open their own bank accounts without, you know, their husband's permission today, by the way. You I know, still get those complaints, by the way. Really? I, oh, yeah. I had a friend not that long ago. She couldn't get a credit card without her oh, husband come on, co-signing. Come on. Because she doesn't have a credit history or anything? Is she that why? Have a, uh, because she reason? started her own business. So they oh. wouldn't give her one. I said, oh, no, that's not ironic that a teenager can get a credit card yeah. easier than you can. And you know why? Because they're betting that if the teenager gets in trouble, the parents are going to pay it off. That's right. And, <laughs> and you know, on, in, on another tangent about uh, businesses trying to get credit, because I, I have had Lending Loop on a couple of times and they try to help Canadian businesses, you know, by it's crowdfunding, right? Canadian mm-hmm. businesses, right? And they go to people go to Lending Loop because the banks... They want them to take out a personal loan when they're going for a business loan. They're more likely to give them a personal loan because of whatever rules are set up for that. Yeah. And it's like when they have history and they have profits and they have all of this good stuff, the banks are still tough on them. And it's like, you know, let's help individual Canadians sort of grow there's so many problems with a lot of things in the canadian yeah. uh, personal finance uh, area or, or general finance of banks um and one of them is still not knowing how to talk to women yes yeah and, and we can't fix it unless there is demand from women as well and okay. this is what i tell a lot of women i sure. say listen I've worked in the industry for a long time. They have a lot of competing goals and priorities. And as much as they know they probably need to do something, it moves to the bottom of the pile until women start being vocal. And the way you be vocal is also be educated on Mm -hmm. what it is you need and what it is you want and, and how to actually work with the financial industry. Because collectively, when we actually talk about this, trust me, it goes up the food chain. Mm hmm. And somebody starts listening. Yeah. But there's no incentive for them to do it out of their kindness of their heart. That's right. it, it just doesn't work that way. And when you understand those dynamics, you can actually enact change. Yeah. So let's all keep talking about it. Mm-hmm. What you're talking about is not just good for women. It's good for everyone, right? It's good for, for guys who aren't that guy who is like, you know, whatever the target market is, mm-hmm. you know, for the bank, the guy who just wants to talk about buying stocks and I don't know what it is. Who are they targeting, really? Typically, men are thinking, okay, we're going to invest, we're going to make a return, and and that's it. Women will think much more holistically. So they will look at the different pieces and say, okay, how does that fit into my life goal? I want to retire. I want to pay for a kid's education. How Mm -hmm. does this product actually fit in? And men usually have very different conversations around well, that. Well, I'm a woman in this in this uh, example. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, I, I, would, it might be I, I consider, you well, it. it could be because of that. You're yeah. right. And maybe if I didn't have the experience that I went through, maybe I would be thinking more like the, the stereotypical man in this mm-hmm. example. Um, but I just feel like there are less of those guys around. I don't think this person exists so much. I think they're retired. I really, <laughs> you know they what I mean? They could be. I think they they're closer be. I think everyone is closer to the example you just gave mm-hmm. of w- how women are. I think everyone is more about holistic these yeah. days than they are just about, I'm going to buy some stocks and get me a return, yeah. right? And not think about why or what. This is, maybe this is my hope. Maybe this is not actually the actual truth. Well, let's hope because, yeah. you know, investing is just one aspect of financial planning. Absolutely. And you do have to look at it very holistically, which mm-hmm. is, you know, sometimes I, I do think the financial industry gets a bad rap for the wrong reason. Mm. Um, they're not perfect. There's a lot of things I can point their, the finger at them for. But, um, you know, without the financial industry, we wouldn't have economic stability. 
And so when I actually was looking at my business model, Mm -hmm. I thought, great, I can educate women and empower them. But if they are not comfortable working with the financial industry, Uh, we're not making the impact. So So we actually have to bring the two together. Yes. Um, Anybody. In my case, it's women, but it's really anyone. We have to start bringing the two sides together and start having constructive conversations about how we're going to fix our financial security gap. And maybe one of them is bringing down the commissions and stuff. Absolutely, yeah. it's probably too high. And fintech is actually changing the game now. We know that. Fantastic. Um, but there is still a role for advisors. You know, you can't just go in and, and go on a robo-advisor and think, okay, I'm going to put all my money in there without actually checking off the, okay, well, have I done the estate planning? Have I done the insurance That's a part? good point. If you can do it yourself, all the power to you. But just don't ignore it. No. And an advisor can help you do that. That's right. And um, you're right. Things like uh, tax planning, estate planning. A even good advisor, just, I'm going to say. Yeah, but a good advisor. Because, <laughs> yeah, you're right. Just putting money in an account, even if it's lower fees, even if it's accessible, even if it's not, you don't have to be a millionaire to do it, that doesn't solve everything. Insurance is a big part of this as well, right? Yeah. And people don't care about insurance. They want to max out their RSP, but what about having, maybe they don't even have life insurance and they have kids or they don't have a disability insurance. I know a lot of people who don't. I know a lot of people. I think the stat is maybe 50 or 60%, maybe 50% of um, Canadians don't have a will. And no will. I, I don't have one. I mean, I'm still well, relatively young, but Gotta get on you know, I'm, I really want to get the people from uh, Willful Wills is a, a new uh, fintech. Oh. Yeah, I want to get them on. I think that's the name of them. Oh. I, I don't know if I Definitely. messed that up. Everyone but should have a will. you go online and, and make a will. Like, I think it costs 100 bucks, and it takes, mm-hmm. like, no but time. But there's caveats in how you do that. Sure. Okay. So there you go. And maybe yeah. we could address those. Well, I, I honestly think you need a lawyer to do it. Okay. It's worth the money. Good point. Well, they have lawyers on staff, I think. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Which you can maybe talk to on the phone. That's, that's why I want to get them on, because I would like everyone the, to have a the, will, the including myself. The mistakes that they make. Yeah. yeah. Is, a, is a basic will better than no will, you know? <laughs> no, because no, okay. if there are if there are holes in it, you're going to have to go to court anyway. Sure, okay. if they can't make sense of what you were actually intending to do, mm. there's too many loopholes. And with no will, it just whatever the statutory regulations it are, yeah. it goes to you're, you're basically you're, doing the same thing to your family. If it's not or, well done or it's not done, you're yeah. basically okay. Having to go I see. The court. So they so would have to go to, well and then done, the court would decide is, that this is really terribly written, and we're going to do what we would do. And all the money goes to your spouse or children or whatever yeah. the lineage is and whatever the basics yeah. are. Interesting stuff. Yeah. So, yeah, no will, no, no insurance, no, you know, it, but it's our, it was our RSP season. That's important, right? Let's make sure we max that out. Why is so, so much emphasis on that, right? And not on all of these other things. So I, I totally agree with you. Holistic uh, management. And I love what you're doing just because I love the way that it affects our whole industry as well. Mm -hmm. You know, it's helping women become more, become more financially empowered, I I guess is probably the best word uh, to use. I don't want to say literate. I don't want to say confident because they might be those things already. Mm -hmm. Maybe just the system is in their way. Right. Yeah. I think the end goal is is we, you know, we want people to feel financially secure. And right now there are too many people who are at risk of outliving their savings. Sure. And uh, I always say this is not an individual problem. The onus can't be just on the financial industry. It's the government plays a role. Education system plays a role. The industry plays a role. We as individual pay the most important role because it's our money. Mm-hmm. And I also say we're in a place right now, and I'll tell you what scares me. When you look at the statistics in Canada and you see 40% of the people who are living paycheck to paycheck or close to debt, this no longer becomes a them versus me problem mm. or a she versus he or rich versus poor. This is a societal problem. Yeah. You cannot maintain a society when you have 50% of the population in this situation. That's right. And by the way, Bo, they vote. Who are the politicians going to get those votes from? If they need those votes and they say, hey, I want you to raise taxes to 70% because somebody has to fund my lifestyle, yeah. it's going to happen. Yeah. Like we're not even thinking about that, and mm. I hate to be the mirror of bad news, but think down the road. I know too many people who are closing their eyes and saying, oh, it's not my problem. I'm well off. I go, well, what kind of a society do you want to live in? Yeah, We need to lift everybody up 
and empower everyone. So we're all okay. I totally agree with you. Yeah. I, you know, I've always said, I'll pay a bit more taxes if it means, you know, there's a park or somebody yeah. doesn't have to live on the street. Right. It's probably not going to affect me that much, yeah. is it? No. Uh, but people are just concerned with the bottom line. And I think you're right. That needs to change. Yeah. And it's not necessarily, I mean, tax, raising taxes isn't going to fix something. No. If you're giving somebody money and they're spending it all or not managing it, okay, yeah. that's actually the issue. Oh, yeah, I know the feeling. Right. Yeah. So we, we need to have these conversations and uh, because I really do feel we're all in it together. Yeah. If somebody would have given me a million dollars when I was thick in my gambling addiction, it wouldn't have mattered. I would, right. I would have gambled it all away. Yeah. Right. You got to fix the underlying problem. And in this case, it's, it's behavior... And we have to start talking system. about it. It really comes down to that, doesn't it? Yeah. We, that's, it's not why we do these podcasts. It's why you made your business. <laughs> yeah. It's why you made all those uh, really well done videos. Um, <laughs> you, it's your background. Right? It's why You're, you've had me on. So what, I really appreciate that. Yes. Yeah, so well, no, to and thanks for coming. This. Thanks for coming to the studio. This is good, especially since I have a, a six week old baby. <laughs> it's beautiful. It's hard by for me to way. go places these days i mean i'll go when i have to but the fact anybody who can make it to the studio is very much appreciated and i'm probably just going to go to sleep right now great well thank you for having me and that's episode 77 again you can find sagel at sagel.com s-a-i-j-e-l-l-e.com if this was your first time tuning in you should check out my 75th episode I have one-minute segments for each of the 74 episodes that came before. It's a quick way to find an episode you might be interested in. If you're a regular listener, thanks so much for downloading the episodes every week. Another way you can support the podcast is by going to my Patreon site and becoming a patron. The link is at the end of the show notes in most podcast apps. Otherwise, just head to patreon.com slash bowhumphreys. That's p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com. And actually, if you Google Bo Humphreys patron, the link's right at the top. Thanks again to my guest, Sajal Patel, for sharing her personal finance story. I'll be back next week with Owen Winkle Molin, founder of Plan Easy.